car running around, but I was like, you know, I got to step in the room with my boys. Word up. Yo, we live. Welcome, okay, we're welcome, live welcome aboard, Stoney. It's good to we see live. you. We live. I miss y'all, man. Yeah. It's good to it see you. Good. You good out there in them Atlanta streets? I'm, I'm, I ain't in no Atlanta, man. I'm in New York right now. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Word I'll up. be there. That's, I'll be there in a minute, though. That's what's up. Hey, it's like where is Waldo? <laughs> so let before we get started, hey, I just want to say this is episode thirty. I think is that like a milestone? I don't know. It probably should be like episode one hundred. <laughs> I feel like people should uh people should celebrate for us. There I'm celebrating. Is. I'm celebrating. I got my Roman cook, so I'm celebrating. There there you go. Is, I'm just gonna hold up my iced coffee. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, hey, listen, listen, I'm just gonna pretend that it's like some nasty Kahlua drink and I'll laugh at you about it. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Who we got in the chat? We got Chris Sunberg. Yo, what's going on? Yeah, we back, man. We're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put this back together so we could do this on a regular basis. Let's uh start it how we usually start it. Um <clears throat> we got Ken. What's up, Ken? Hey, what's going on, man? Uh Ken Flux Pierce, fluxwithit.com. Uh, let me see if I can't. I, I have to turn on my little, uh, my little lower thirds thing. But uh, yeah, man, I've just been doing That's a lot of sound work. design work lately, and um, just uh, getting a lot of stuff done, man. Got some really cool stuff coming soon. So, dope, dope. Um, yo, we got Stony in the place of you. What's up, Stony Music? Hey, what's up, yo? What's going on, guys? Chilling. How's everybody doing? Everything is good. Everything is good. How you doing? I'm in, the, I'm in these streets. Word. I'm gonna be coming in and out, so you gotta excuse me. The signal's kind of it's kind of sketchy, but it's fine. I can hear and see you just fine. It's good to have you. Um, hey, you still doing your uh, peer mind joints? No, nah, man, I'm working on my album, man. I gotta release this music, man. It's it's been long waiting, and um, I got a new studio I'm building, so Word. you know. Follow me on stoniesworld.com and Instagram. And I have a show now that I do every Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. Eastern. It's called Stony Sessions. And um, it's an IG live that I do every every Saturday. So um, if, if nobody's ever been to it, come check it out. Um, I talk about production. I talk about everything and anything. It's, it's a great hangout. It's a good place to come and learn about different things and, you know, etiquette and all kinds of different processes well you know what i like about the about your show stony because i've jumped on a couple times i like to just like joining stony in her lab and yeah absolutely it feels real cozy and intimate and i think it's a dope piece i love it and that that was what i i wanted to do i wanted that's why i call the stony sessions so mm -hmm. that like if you were in a session with me and you came into the studio and you sat down and we vibe that's what we do, we wouldn't just make beats. We'd be talking about things. We'd mm -hmm. be uh, building on, you know, how we want to grow. And, um, and a lot of cats don't know very basic things that we take for granted. So I just like to share with them, you know, and just and just kick it. Sometimes you, you got people online who don't have a place or filter to come mm -hmm. and share how they feel or get inspiration. So that's right. why I did the show. I, I did it. It was a fluke because I did it. And then the, the, fa the, the people that came into the room, they were the ones like, look, come back next week, come back next week. And then I just said, you know what? Let's just keep keep this going. Let's keep the momentum going and keep people excited. So, you know, between that and making music and mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I do my own one-on-one stuff too on my website. So people right. can also hit me up on stoniesworld.com for consultations, but I've just been mainly focusing on, um, you know, rebuilding, like, and just getting inspired by old things also. You know, mm-hmm. you see me pull out my 4,000. Oh, man, you listen. <laughs> Yo, Ken, Stony, Stony pulled out the 4,000 and stunned on me. <laughs> she, she, you know, I actually, um, and I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. I actually got a, I, I got a talk. I, I got a good friend of mine that, um, I'm, uh, I'm in the process of getting that MPC 3500, uh, the, oh, the rare yeah. 3500. The 30 uh, or the 2500? So. No, 3500. the 3500. What's the 3500? <laughs> 3500 um, is, is there was only very few of them made, and it was actually the pre, it, it was a prototype of the 5000. I know where it's at. Uh, I know that actual one where yeah. he talk about. This is an actual 3500. Um, but, but it's but funny though, because like to me, to me, the four thousand is still like top of the food chain as far as that. Like, oh yeah, the four thousand is like you. The, you know the thing that I keep going back to about the four thousand that I keep trying to get people to do again is you know how you could slice a loop and you could chop a loop and you would have the end of the loop and the start of the loop right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is like one of the dopest. It's a simple but really dope feature. Oh no, I agree. And then I, you know what I fell in love with, which is hilarious. When I turned on the four thousand, there was the little girl. She was standing and tapping her feet oh. as she's loading. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh shit!" I've never, I never paid attention to that until like, you know, after a while, you you don't use these pieces, and then when you open them up, you find all these little things that you took. And that's your, that's your, that's your, uh, your inner soul mate right My there. My inner soul. She's like, <laughs> she's tapping, and then she got an attitude too. She got an attitude like it's taking too long to load, you know. Right. But um, <laughs> but but I I pulled that out, and I also pulled out my um, twenty eighty and my thirty eighty. Dope. So what I'm, I'm doing, Ken, is I'm just I'm having I'm setting up like an analog. Yep. Huh. The JV? Oh, oh man, I miss those oh. sounds. Yeah. yeah. So what I did, so what I did was I'm setting up like an analog, you know, shout out the Hosa. They sent me a bunch of cables and stuff like that too, but I'm setting up like an analog side of my room strictly Dope. for when I want to just bang on some pads and not turn the computer on. And so I said, well, you know what? Let me just put like a little setup. I got the uh, Phantom X6, I got the 4000 and then the rolling pieces. Uh-oh. Yeah, I kind of missed having I kind of miss having a straight up workstation keyboard in my setup. Right. And, um, there was something about just you really, being able to I, you know what I've never been and having all your bread and butter in one spot. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that, Corey? I never really had a workstation, so I don't know that that's something that I miss. But I do know that I really liked. Excuse me, the fifty eighty, the thirty eighty when I had it, but I wanted mm-hmm. the fifty eighty. So I eventually yeah, 50, sold it. Fifty eighty was crazy too. Yeah, the 5080, I wanted that because it had inputs, because I was really impressed with the the Cosm uh, effects, right? Because that's right. really, that's pretty much what everybody's going crazy about with the SP404 is those effects, right. but the fact that right. it's tactile on the 404, but <clears throat> it's the same amazing effects in like the 5080 and 3080, but the difference is the 5080 has input where you can run external gear through it. I believe yeah. that's and I think you could. I think you could mm-hmm. actually playback sample ROM or something on there. I yeah. can't remember. Yeah, I think but, you um, could. Between that and the other piece I always wish I had was, again, the ASR-10. I had the EPS back in the day, but 
I really mm-hmm. want it. I would get an ASR now. The, I love uh-huh. the filter. I love the filter in the, on that thing. And um, I mean, yeah, outside of that, I've just been playing around with some analog stuff and um, mm-hmm. really just, you know, uh, Ableton, you know, still deep in Ableton and yeah, just, just messing with that stuff. I've been messing with the personas too, the Studio One. I like Studio been- I'm still like, I'm still trying to convince myself to like Ableton more because like I, I know that there's a lot of great stuff about it, but it's it's one of those things where the workflow and just the way it's laid out just never seems to quite click for me. And I always revert back to using Studio One. Like right. I just it's so intuitive that yeah, like I worked I worked I mean, in Logic what- for a long time. And to me, it, it feels like what Logic should be now, you know? I mm-hmm. no, I totally agree. I think Studio One is to me, Studio One is more, I don't know, very composer, very super producer, making records kind of doll. You yeah. know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. Ableton, Ableton is very, to me, super beat maker, sound design. You know, It kind of feels like a sketch one. pad. To me, it, it kind of feels like a sketch pad. Like, in the same way that Machine mm-hmm. does, but, but with, I can with see, Ableton. I can see why you feel that way. With Ableton, it's like, it's like, okay, I can test out lots of different arrangements, but... When I'm working with Studio One, what I like to do is I'll open up Machine in as a separate application, and I'll have yeah, Studio the One, and then I'll just drag over, you know. And then I and then I'm like, okay, well, here's my eight bars, and then I can copy it, bring it over, and then I'll like delete a couple of them and be like, okay, I need a variation here, a variation there, and I can do that. Yeah. And then yeah. I can still do all my master automation and all that stuff across it, you know. Oh no, absolutely. I see some of the cool stuff you're doing over there with um the Alteria stuff, Ken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they've been um they've been really great to work with lately because I've been doing uh I've been working with their hardware team a lot and uh okay. they've they're like I, I I work with a bunch of different companies as far as hardware and they are they seem to listen really well, um which I don't feel like a lot of the a lot of the different companies that I'll work with, some of them will listen some way and some of them will listen in another way, but they're, they're very some receptive them, some to Some of them will only feedback. listen if you align what they were already trying to do, but well, it's well, nice a lot to, of the be, with, to, to be like, with a company uh, that is actually listening to your input and, and your, right, your methodology right. for the input on top of that. Because sometimes, you know, just, just think about it. A lot of times uh, suggestions and features, a lot of times they won't get it, but if you kind of give them your methodology as to why you work certain ways and stuff, the, the companies that listen to that along with your methodology are the good joints. Yeah, and, and I think I think I think Ken has been with them for a while too, and mm-hmm. I mean those were those were they respect him, mm-hmm. they respect him and and the relationship, and they're gonna win. They're gonna win mm-hmm. listening to a guy like that who is all the way in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, it that's seems like it seems like a lot of the companies. Um, because a lot of the times, some some of the input isn't just workflow related. Like a lot of the times, right. it'll also be about okay, well, if if something is built X way, you know, I can foresee Y problem co- coming out of that, and then like I might put some input in it. And not every company is is very happy to hear <laughs> when you're like, you know what, I think that's going to be a problem. And they might get they, you know, the engineers want to stick to what they know, but these guys seem to be pretty, uh, pretty on top of things, and as far as making changes and that kind of thing, which is really nice to see. So, well, um, they're trying to win. They're trying to win. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's smart. It'll be yeah. interesting to see where they go in the long run because, uh, you know, they're 
their vice president of product management moved on to a, to a different um, job. So now they have another guy in that role. And uh, but it, it looks like they have a, a nice path ahead of ahead of them already. So I, I'm interested to see where they go in the long run. Um, I think they got big yeah. things ahead of them. And it, it'll be interesting to see that, like you said, that that kind of almost it's not really a rebirth. But, you know, anytime that somebody at that level leaves and, and the, 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 the guards, the changing of the guards happen, you start to see little differences. And I think it's going oh, to be I mean, an look interesting at, look way at, to go. Look at what look at Akai. Look how mm -hmm. how huge of a transition that was yep. when all the people switched over. It, it changed the product altogether. Yep. And that was, it was also kind of the same guy there. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Was, but but uh, you know, but I will say, like you know, it, he he tends to when he leaves companies, he tends to set them up for success. So you know, that's, that's right. I think that's brilliant to tell you the truth. You the, honestly, that's a that's a that's a true innovator and that's a real leader when he can step into a company and set them up for the future, stay for a certain amount of years to really get the processes in order and really get them rolling with the cadence of products and stuff. And and work out the kinks. But I mean, I would I would I would hope that you know any technology that you build that it it, it stands the test of time. Certainly. And that, and that it lasts. You know, the four thousand. You know, as many people say, oh, that's an old school piece. You can make. Not much out there topping it. You had that four thousand. I still want one of those. Let me just be real though. So I want I want a four thousand. I want a Tempest. I want a SP twelve hundred and. Um, Corey said, I want it all. Yeah, I, I just feel like I ain't even going to front all, all, all this, you know, people be like uh, this, that, and the other. I'm not going to front. Part of, of me is the uh, the collector. There's a collector in me that I love. I, I kind of love right. being able to, no, absolutely. to have certain pieces and and some people treat that as like a uh as as like a a bad label, like when they're like, Oh, well, you you're just collecting gear as if it's a bad thing. And I'm like, so what? I know people that collect you know model cars i know people that collect you know yeah, pokemon man. cards i know people that collect there's, all there's kinds of dudes out there to collect actual cars <laughs> yeah, yeah i got i got friends of mine that got i have friends of mine that have uh transformer collections that yeah. you know cost as much as my studio so i'm Word. like come on man like don't you know don't poo poo somebody who likes to collect something a little bit you know like yeah let me let me tell y'all something one day one, like i'm gonna share something with you guys one day i went to um I went to Ad Rock's crib and um no, hold on just pause wife. right quick and she said she went to Ad Rock's crib. Who who y'all know who <laughs> Ad Rock is? We talking about the the legend Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys. Continue. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Ad Rock's crib and so um when we got when I got there, you know, we went up I went up to the studio, we just kicking it. We just just me him and his family whatever. And then he goes he says, yo, Stoney, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. And I was just like, okay. And so he goes into this little room and he pulls out the 808 that he used on all these records. And it's old or whatever. And I remember his lady saying, what are you doing with that old thing? You know, what are you doing with that old thing? And he was like, I'm never selling it. I'm never selling it. Yeah. And, and it's funny because we, I don't know what it is with the culture now where it's like, oh, this shit is old. Let me sell it and get rid of it. If a dude mm -hmm. like Ad Rock, when I, when I saw that, I was like, "Man, I'm not selling my old pieces, man. Come on, yeah. this, 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 and this is your history. These are the things that got you where you I'll are." I'll tell you what. 
This is the part where I dive into my floor again, Corey. Of course. Uh -oh. we, we both dive in. Let's go ahead and dive right quick. Uh, <laughs> Hold on. Corey, I'm going to flip this boy over. 60? Yes. 62. Wow. Yo, this 62 ain't no joke. You see, I got the, the thick black pads on it. You and, got the fancy one. And look at this. Yo, you see that? That's Roger Lynn's actual signature. And I got rid of the floppy drive for this um, local rack uh, SD card emulator. And the that's joints crazy. still sound good. I cleaned so, it up, cleaned all yeah, the pots crazy. and everything. It, when well, I you got, got it, it had stickers on Why you don't do a shootout? Oh, so this one right here, man. With the, with the X and this, with the, the mold. Corey, this one right here, this is out of all my gear, right? This is the one that I would never ever sell. This this machine, this machine is the one that I I won beat battles with. This is the machine. This machine was literally in the hospital room with me when my when uh my wife gave birth to my daughter. Word. Oh, uh, yo, you got the zip drive in there too. Yeah, this is the machine that basically like started me like here. really really here. making making beats and whatnot uh in a in a in a more serious sense of yeah. getting out of doing other types of music but uh and mine has soul so oh yeah see if you can see that oh you got drum machines have soul <laughs> <laughs> yo that's dope Ken. hey but yo yeah. i remember when those limited edition joints was out too i had a homeboy who had the orange one with those like pink and white cloudy pads yep yep yeah that and, was the se2 this mm -hmm. is the se1 and then the se3 is a chrome and black one and the 2000 cell is the mpc that i started on so that that machine has a special special spot in my yeah, heart yeah this is the mpc i started on as well and this mm -hmm. is this one actually came from the producer who at the time was producing my records because at the time um that i've that I got it. I was actually a battle MC back then. And I was, I was making the circuits then, um, as an MC and I wanted to make my own beat. So I got a EMU MP seven and I was working on that, but I wanted an MPC, but I couldn't afford one. And, uh, he actually sold me this one. Uh, he had, it had just came out and he tried to make a modification to it and broke it. And I, <laughs> I took it home and fixed it. So I, I got, fixed it and kind of what path of like uh working with with more um hip-hop technology gear and that sort mm -hmm. of thing and, and and going into beat battles and doing all that so, so to me it's super sentimental um and uh yeah i'll never sell it like i have you i've know, got other pieces of gear that are more that are worth more money i've mm -hmm. got um some other pieces of gear that are way more rare but right. this is the one that i would just never i would never sell yeah, I can't blame you, man. And I actually regret there, there's pieces that I've that I regret that I've sold. And the MPC 2000 XL was one of them. And you know what? I've had two and sold them. But here's, here's what I'll say. I had my 2000 XL when I was still living in Chicago. That was my piece for years. That's what I used to do everything. I kind of cut my teeth and learned on that. And then I moved to California and I sold it because I needed the cash to move to California. And when I got settled about six months in, I bought another one for a good price used. <laughs> then I realized I didn't have the room for it. About six months after that, I sold it again and went all software. And then it's, yeah, I, that was the way. Yeah, that I kept went. my I, 
I got my two thousand is still in the in the bag. Well, you and see, you were using the same gear and you were winning beat battles with the same gear. So I'm yeah, sure you've got a yeah. 2000 that's just as sentimental on that level. Let me tell you, I had, a, I had my 2000 still has the picture. I had like a laminate picture of my son mm -hmm. on, on the 2000. So like it's still there. You got to see it. Because that was the one you were winning the New York beat battle with. Right. I was kill I was destroying them with it. And now yeah. and now when I look at it, I go, man, I did all this stuff with this. It was like, like if you go back and look, you go, man, I can't believe I did more with less with such little bit of gear. You know yeah. what I'm saying? All I had was the 2000. I didn't have anything else. Mm -hmm. Oh, but you know what I had? You know what I, I I had around that time? It was the the court, the micro court had just come out when I had my 2000 Excel. Well, I always wanted I one of those it. too. Yeah, I bought it. I had it for almost probably a decade. I bought that joint. And I had it was a floor model. They were selling like hotcakes. They had just yeah, they come were out everywhere. They were <laughs> they everywhere. Were. And you it's see like they're like we don't got the weekend, box, but you can buy them Saturday Night Live. Yes. You see them like all the live performances had those things. They were everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. That's, Whoever was doing that that's something I'd like time. to look into. Whoever was doing Korg's um, press management back then was killing it. Oh, like yeah. whoever was doing their artist relations back then, because you saw the Triton on every stage, you saw the micro Korg on every stage. Like mm -hmm. they, those things, the MS two thousand, dude. They those things were everywhere. Yep, yep. I totally agree, man. I had that joint with the MPC, and I felt like. I had like the master setup. And here's and the other thing about not selling. I, I have another 2000 XL that's actually broken, but I, I'd never sell it because it's got graffiti tags all over it from my whole oh, crew dope. from back in the day. And it's like, um, it was like the, back then it, we, we didn't have a lot of money or anything. So it was like when we got a piece of gear, the whole crew used it. You know what I mean? So that was the MPC that, like the whole crew used to, to to make beats with and you know it's it resides in my studio now and it's like if if one of them ever came to me and was like yo i want to put it in my trophy case i would instantly be like all right put it in yours you know what i mean because it's like mm -hmm. things legendary in this area hey, you, know? Hey, Ken, you know you know something is funny you said that i remember there was a time when um now tell me how you feel about it where cats had crews you know what i'm saying and everybody yeah use the same piece and it was okay to use the same piece. It's yeah. almost like, nah, I don't use this. I use this. And nah, I don't use like, now everybody's like, nah, I don't use that. I use that. Whereas there was a time where everybody used the same joint and they just and still, got busy. And like, still had yeah. their own sounds right? too. Now there was, there was yep. a yeah, thing about that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and the funny thing was, is like, we all, everybody in my crew at that time, there, there's one dude who had SP 808 EX but other than that, everybody uses like an MPC 2000 XL or MPC 2000 Classic. And uh, we all used it totally different. We all sequenced completely different. Like mm -hmm. my boy Serafino was nasty and he would he would do like eight beats on a single disc. Like his his beats were always like he could reuse sounds from, from one beat and put them in another. And me, I was neurotic like. All mine were, it was like one disc to a beat and it was like everything was on it. Like I've used everything original on every single beat and I was like crazy about it. And I had other guys that would like, 
they would do their entire beat would be one long sequence. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they wouldn't do separate sequences and then put it together. It, it would just, they would program it up 94 bars or whatever, and then just go through it like that straight away. So we all had different ways of working, even though we were on the same piece of gear. It was crazy. Yep. 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 That's true. That's the way it went down. Yeah, back I, then, I, yeah. I, I missed that. I mean, uh, can you guys hear me? Okay. Yep, yeah. yep. My signal's terrible. But I feel like cats have teams now, and it feels like everybody's like, okay, there's the one guy who's the star of the team, and then everybody else is like non non-existent, right? You don't really know who the other guys are. Yep. Like, what do you guys feel about that whole era? Like when like like Ken, like you said, you had your crew and everybody in your crew was a star. Each one of you guys had something special and everybody celebrated everybody. I don't see that as much with production crews. Like, I don't see that. Well, you know, for me, though, I don't necessarily come from a background where there was a production crew. I come from a background where we was an MC crew. All of us were MCs and one or two dudes produced. And that was more common. Yeah, that was more common. And that's kind of what my background is. So I was an MC and all my men's was MCs. And I had my, my one homeboy who always had gear. He taught me how to use the MPC. And at a point, you know, there's a transitional stage when people start getting older, responsibilities start taking place and interests start going in different directions. And I found myself as a solo MC. Um, in, in the meantime and in between time. And I start going all around the city, all over the place, looking for beats and working with producers. Some cats will have a SP 1200. Some cats had MPCs and, and I never could quite get the vibe that I wanted. So then I end up buying an MPC and uh, my man. Yep. I bought I it because I was like, I got to make my own stuff. You know what I mean? My problem was that all the beats that guys were giving me sounded too clean. Like everything okay. was made either in Pro Tools or it was made, um, you know, with, with romplers and stuff. And I wanted yeah. dirty samples. Like I wanted really grimy drums. And, you know, like I knew the sound that I wanted, but nobody around me was really making it. But then when I started producing, other cats that were producing kind of would gravitate to each other and be yeah. like, oh, he's using an MPC and then like they would link up. So my crew was really different in the regard that we had, uh, at, at one point it was eight members. And I think that's a huge, like probably, production crew. That's probably dope. five or six of us were, were producers mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and most of us were, were producers and MCs, mm -hmm. but it was, you know, it was a lot of producers in the area. And then on top of that, we had, a, there was another crew that was, uh, gun just this you know parallel to us and they had probably uh five five or six producers with them as well so like my and this is all in a really tight tight area like we were all pretty close so mm -hmm. there was just a lot of producers in my area and at the time it was like people weren't really sharing tips with each other mm -hmm. but as you formed a crew people would kind of be like, all right, well, I'll share some tips with the people that are in my crew. Right. But other than that, you and weren't that really thing back then, wasn't it? It's funny that, that we all are proponents of sharing our knowledge online and showing people what we've come across and techniques we've uh, adopted, adapted, used, or created. This would have been early, early, like and MySpace like, days, man. But that's the so, thing. Like, like in those days, those days and even further back, hip hop has always been a place where it's like, you could you could be at a block party or a party and love what the DJ is playing, and you go up there to, to try to look at the record, and they'll have like it'll be blacked out. 
labels off crypto mm -hmm. yeah because i remember when we would go digging um uh, it was what was really fun was this so around my way there's a there's a flea market and if you're in the delaware area or a uh, south philly area there's a flea market uh right off of route 13 in wilmington that is amazing for record digging but when we would go out there it got so competitive with so many producers that were like you know and this is before the internet explosion of everybody wants to be a producer it was still kind of like a uh it was still kind of like a small thing but it was like maybe six six or seven of us would mm. show up at this flea market and man like the looks people would be shooting each other because everybody be trying to find a record first right, you know what i mean like, yeah. but hey, like you know what you know what's funny ken you're so right because it used to be a time where it was taboo to be a producer because you didn't know what the studio was. Yeah, exactly. You didn't know, you didn't know what, what happened in the studio. You didn't know, how, you know, where to get the gear from. Like, everybody couldn't just get an MP because it was so expensive. You know what I'm saying? I remember, dude, like, I, it was, those people it was didn't even know what they were. A lot of people didn't right. even know what it was. And you had to get, um, I was one of the lucky ones that found out about, uh, what is it called? Future producer magazine, like real early yeah, on. Yeah. So I had, I had yeah, future I remember, producer I back in like the nineties. I had that back in the nineties and you could open up the back pages and it would have advertisements for different drum machines in there. Right. And I would just, man, I would drool over that thing. Like, like little kids would over the Toys R Us catalog. I was drooling over what? future music catalogs and, and well, looking like in the back Corey of that before i told i told Corey, i said yo i used to have the um pete rock and cl smooth cd cover i don't remember i don't remember which album it was and you could see pete rock sitting there and he had an sp 1200 yep. and he had all this stuff and i was like oh man i just sit there and just like wow you know what i'm saying and there was like, a oh, and it was also uh, Q-Tip too, because he would Q-Tip and RZA both would kind of like throw sly lines about what gear they were using in their raps, and I would like. <laughs> so like I learned, like I I didn't know what a base station was until RZA said it, you know. Yo. Yo, did I lose you? Yeah, we lost you for a second. <laughs> you said oh, you okay. Station I, wasn't till RZA said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when he said he said uh, program fat baselines on novation. Um, yeah. I didn't know what he was talking about at first, and I had to go look up. I was like, what What is he talking about? And I had to go and learn about it that way because uh, you know, people just were thinking it was like a throwaway line. I was like, nah, man, he's he's giving me secrets. Yeah, he's telling you what's up. <laughs> That's what's up. Hey, you, hey, speaking of that, I got to say the Novation Base Station 2, I had posted it a couple times recently on my Instagram. I truly, truly love that scent. I don't know why I don't have that scent still. First came out because it didn't have CV, and it was around the same time that like the Mini Brooder came out, and it had CV, and uh, what else was it? that came, Something else came out that had CV on it, and I was like, you know, and then the MS-20 Mini had CV, and yeah, then... Yeah. Uh, Maybe it was like the, I think the Waldorf Pulse 2 had been announced or something. And yeah. I was just like, CV, CV, CV. So I kind of skipped over it. But then I, I messed with it later on. I was like, oh my God, this thing's actually really dope. It's like, a I, of a I like man. it, man. Like, and for the price, you can get those things for so cheap. You can. Yeah. And honestly, I like them. Like, you know, it's not everybody likes every synth. Um, 
but I personally really like that one. Some people like I've heard different criticisms of them, but to be honest with you, I don't ever listen to criticisms like that. Like that's actually one of the reasons why I don't hardly ever do just straight reviews of synthesizers. Mm-hmm. People were like, Oh, give me your review of it. And I'm like, honestly, reviews are bullshit. Like, <laughs> like nine times out of 10, like uh, when, when I was reading certain reviews about like the mini log and whatnot, and people were like, Oh, well, it sounds like this. It sounds like that. And I got one. I loved it. Like I absolutely loved it. Yeah. The filter loses all the bass when you pull the resonance up. That's fine. But you know, if you play it as four note pads, you don't necessarily want all that bass there. Like mm-hmm. it, um, there's something about that thing that I personally really liked, but other people will really hate. And it's not wrong to, to hate it either. And it's not wrong to love it. It's just that to me, if you're going to listen to reviews, you want to know who it is that's reviewing it and you want to know their taste and whether it lines up yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. See, that's that, like, what used to say. If you don't know the history of the author, you don't know what you're reading. And that is And going back to, to music, that's one of the reasons why I actually... You got your Max Headroom thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> So, yo, you still there, Ken? Yeah, maybe not. Let's give it a second. So, yo, hey, I'm gonna tell y'all. I saw something on uh, on Facebook. Somebody posted actually a pretty uh, uh, good FB acquaintance of mine posted something. Um, he said, "Hey, the drum machines, the drum machines go out of style when samplers came into being." Let's see, out of style when samples came into being. And I, you know what? When I listened to that, I was like, nah, that don't, that's not necessarily the truth. Um, I used to think so, but then when you got a good drum machine, you know better. You still there, Ken? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me now? No, oh, okay. <laughs> what you think? Can you about? hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Unfortunately, because I'm in the jail cell, uh, I'm on Wi-Fi right now, which isn't as great as my, my previous connection. I'll, I'll have that fixed by next week, though. But um, yeah, like to me, as far as drum machines versus samplers, and this is something that uh, there was a Facebook post about it recently also. Yeah, I got, yeah. got into it on there. And uh, to me... Yeah, there there was a there was a change of guard, as it were, in, yep. in audio gear, where, where it went from people trying to do synthesized drum and then realizing that synthesized drums don't sound like acoustic drums. Right. So, but it was new technology, so it was like, okay, we're just switching over, and this new technology is superior, so let's forget the old stuff. But mm-hmm. then after that, new technology became old hat. People started realizing, oh, but I like those old sounds too for exactly what they are. And now, to me, it's all you start seeing things like rhythm, tempest, that kind of thing, where they yeah. combine the two. Lines are blurred. Samplers that act like drum machines. Drum machines that act like samplers. You know yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. So to me, it's, it's kind of a moot point now. Yeah, it is. And it, but the thing is, too, one of the things that's that's nice about you actually have a good point about the parameters that are in samplers now, where you can start to tweak and shape and you know really. Uh, change the sound of your samples whereas it used to just be a static snapshot of whatever it was you yeah had. yeah it used to be just sample playback and right. now it's it's actual sample manipulation i mean you mm-hmm. can get into and not even that like you can go 
there's so many different methods of, of sample manipulations, you know, talking like granular and, you yeah. know, um, partials and all that kind of stuff. So you can, you can get into some deeper stuff with samples now yeah. and you have CPUs that are fast enough to where you can make real time changes to samples. Whereas before you couldn't do that. It was like, if you try to manipulate yeah, a certain endpoint, yeah. things would have mm -hmm. stopped or broken up or they wouldn't allow the sequencer to run at the same time that you're doing that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's what's up. And then, but see, too, when you have a good drum machine is one of the things that on that whole point, when you got a good drum machine, you start to see that it's not just a, a 808 sample pack when you can actually tweak the voice. It's not just whatever the drum sound is like. It's not even the same as like tweaking a, uh, a sample and manipulating the sample. When you have a good drum machine where you could like the Tempest or the Rhythm MK2, even the Rhythm MK1. You know, you got those those synthesizer voices in there where you could really tweak and change the sound and make it into anything that you want, unlike the way you can do with a sample. So I always I thought that was an interesting thing that my man said, depending on what fits your workflow, my personal preference of samplers. And I could dig that because you can make a sample into almost anything nowadays, to Ken's point. Um well, that's what somebody was saying. In, you in you know, here, here's what I'll say about drum machines and and, and sampling uh, sequencers such as, you know, when I talk like that, I, I want to just kind of clarify. I'm talking like MPC. I'm talking like, uh, I mean, really even the sampling and sequencing side of something like machine or the newer MPCs, that kind of thing. Um, the method that you use those is fairly different. So if we go back to like that, MPC 2000, um, and then even the newer MPCs like the studio. This, the, the, the live and the MPCX. Like the newer stuff tends to have a little bit more real time control. So I'm not really talking about that. But when I talk about like a sampler, like an MPC or something, yeah, you don't have that same control. So let's say I have behind me in that corner. Right, I'm gonna go ahead and brag. I've got like a three thousand dollar, thirty five hundred dollar modular drum system. It's amazing. It's mm -hmm. fantastic. Sounds exactly how I want it to sound because it has the modules that I want in it. Right, but there's a lot of drawbacks to that. You know, I can't just turn it on and instantly have exactly what I had before. I gotta set things up. Maybe even if I left it how it was, I still have to go and adjust decay. I still gotta, you know, things drift just a little bit. I still gotta kind of tweak it. The immediacy of the sampler gives me that exact sound. Now, that being said, let's say I'm recording a live, uh, I'm recording a new track, right? And I'm in my own comfortable digs, okay? Yep. And I want to use that style of sound. I'm going to go ahead and use that and track it live straight into, into the doll. And I'm going to do what I want to do with it. And it's going to be all like, I can do it on the fly. I can do this. I can do that. And I will use that. But that's not always the proper case. So I'm constantly, as a sound designer, I'm already making my own kits and whatnot right. um, and, and putting those out. But I'm also sampling my own sounds. Like if I come up with a really cool sound on that, I sample it and put it into my own sound banks for later anyway. Word. That Word. being said, just because I have all the sounds from that that I make in my sampler does not mean it gives me the same vibe when I go back Boom, to play. That's it. That's it. Because because sounds that you throw in your sample, you, you can mesh them and mold them into something totally different. It becomes that session. Things things that you use yeah. in a certain session don't necessarily mean that it's just going to be the same exact sound from previous. It may have some similarities, but 
things in a sample can take on a whole new life in a whole new way. Yeah, it's all, one all of those young. things where workflow directly impacting how something ends up sounding on a track. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's it's a lot of times you want to say, oh, okay, well, workflow and sound, it's two separate topics. And just because I have a different workflow, I can still get the same sound. In this case, the workflow helps mold how the sound actually ends up coming out. And sometimes I want the sample version of it, you know, but a lot of the times, I, you know, if I'm given the comfortable digs, then yeah, I'm going to go back to using that thing. But if I'm, you know, on the move, mm -hmm. then yeah, I'm going to go ahead and I'll, I'll sample it up and I'll do other things like that for live. I'd much rather just throw my samples from my modular into a sampler and then be live like that, because that's going to have way less chance that I screw up and that kind of thing, you know? Yep. Hey, let me ask you though. Let's let's get into some semi-modular. I wish Stoney was still on here because I'm looking forward <laughs> to her getting into uh semi-modular stuff and just ignore the fact that me and T'Challa is over here having a conversation. By the way, I, I hate that I bought the one that doesn't have the articulating arms. It don't bend at the elbow. But always gotta have bending at the elbow. But that's wrong. Twists. What kind of situation is that though? Can't even uh, talk because I went back to my old studio uh, two days ago, and all my all my stuff is still there. Um, I still have the old studio is still there. It's still mm -hmm. somewhat intact, and like my Doctor Doom, and like I've got you know all kinds of Iron Man figures. I'm a comic book nerd, so I have all that stuff, but it's all still there, and it's driving me nuts that I don't have it here. That's that creative <laughs> inspiration stuff. It man. is. It's it like, is. Honestly, you know, I have this sitting over by my uh, my modular rig, and it's just sitting there. I feel like. It feels like, you know, um, my modular rig is not Euro rack. It's like Wakanda rack. <laughs> <laughs> but, yo, somebody said, remember the SP-1200 all day. I'm I'm about three seconds from having the SP-1200 in here. Just got to finalize the situation. Um, yeah, I'm jealous can't wait about to get that. that. Can't wait to get it. That is, honestly, I have the MPC-60 because... I couldn't at that I really point. Wanted that. Yeah, I really wanted the SP twelve hundred, but <laughs> yeah. the, I wasn't about to go for those prices, and and especially at that time. And then I happened to find a dude uh, who was a little drive away, kind of out by where Bryce lives from from my direction, and um, he had this this MPC sixty for four hundred dollars. I think I got it for three fifty, and I went and I chilled with him. Turns out he had produced quite a few things, and. Um, what was the there was a disc in there i think i remember the disc had somebody's beat on it i, I can't remember I, I hate that i can't remember anyway Wasn't it like a, that was wasn't it? the d'angelo thing or whatever was it it was no nah, i don't think so no nah, it wasn't d'angelo but it was some because the disc had somebody some artist's name on it i remember I talking to... about that before yeah 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 but it was a good come up and and i end up you know putting just a little bit of money into it and cleaning it up and i actually <laughs> This is the latest article ever. I did a part one and a part two of fixing this up. And somebody just recently hit me up on Instagram like, yo, whatever happened to part three? And so uh, I got to finish up and do a part three on that article on B-Boy Tech Report. Uh, but yeah, I only got this just because I wanted the SB-1200 and couldn't get one at the time. But I'll have an SB-1200 joining the fray over here soon enough. And Sam knows, Sam Botstein is in the chat right now <laughs> it's funny every now and then i'll hit sam up like yo i got a weird question about sp 1200 
won't you give me that SP 1200? He'd be like, man, you know damn well I cannot give you the SP 1200. <laughs> you know, that was, and that was part of the reason why I wanted to produce for myself was the SP 1200 because we used to take those Gemini uh, DJ samplers and we would take the sampler to the studio and the dude there had an SP 1200 and we would sample from that into the SP 1200. And it was, oh man. Yeah. Yeah, I still want one, but there's no way in hell I'd pay five grand for one. Like no, no. way. No like, way. I think that's and it, it gets back to that whole collector's thing yeah. and, and what is the market. But to be perfectly honest with you, I don't even think the market is five thousand. Like no, no matter how rare they're I getting, think they're trying to push the market to five thousand. It ain't there. It's not there, man. Yeah, I, mean, I got a really fair seller. So I'm I'm coming up on a I can see price. like I can kind of see three K. Um, I can see 3000 because of certain factors, but even then it's like, it's still a collector's piece at that yeah. price. Like right. it's not, you know, but who yeah. knows? Maybe, maybe Dave will be nice and, and, and do his new version. Who knows? So that's so, the thing though. When I talk to Dave for awesome, so those out there, um, I want to take it for granted that y'all, everybody out there knows who Dave Rossum is. So Dave Rossum is, excuse me, the man behind the SP-1200 and the EMU company in general, the yeah. original uh, owner and creator. He's the founder. Of, he's the founder of the EMU company who made the SP-1200 and many, many other really dope instruments. And he's doing Eurorack stuff now. Uh, his company is, was it Dave Rossum or Rossum Electronics? Yeah. Rossum uh, Electro Music. Yeah, Rossum Electro Music. So, uh ken and i when we run into him on our separate accords and and at nam he mentions the sp 1200 he actually asked me at, at nam this year like dave ross asked me this he's like do you think it's a market for the sp 1200 do you think there's still a market for the sp 1200 and just <laughs> as had, he said that just as he said that uh somebody walked up and was like oh my god dave rossum you made the sp 1200 <laughs> and i was like hell yeah there's a yeah so this is one of his instruments that Ken's yeah this is one of his modules here so this is his new his new company here um mm -hmm. uh, yeah the thing is is uh but he was also very adamant to say if anybody's gonna do it it's gonna be me and he yeah, had right. like a he fire in his eye when he said it too like he That's was right. yeah so um there's another thing about that uh i've been you know because i've been talking with different companies and whatnot and every company that i talk to talks about you know certain legacy products that's one product that kind of always comes to people's name uh to, to people's tongue and also the thing is is that the way that he did workflow was really just you know considering how ahead of ahead of his time he was as far as like this is the guy that not only did he design the sp1200 Mm -hmm. He designed the first samplers like he designed the chips themselves. You yeah. know what I mean? Like this. So we're not just talking about a guy who's saying, oh, slap this together for me. This is the guy who was actually putting it together. But yeah, he, was he was coming up with the electronics behind the it. workflow yeah. is actually ridiculously smooth. If you consider how slow the processors are in those pieces of gear, like I have a, a EMU Emacs down here no, and I freaking love it. And the workflow should be a pain in the ass, right? It should be. And for as old as it is and for the type of controls that are on top of it, you would think that, oh, this thing's going to be hard to work with. No, it's easier to work with than a lot of newer gear is. And mm -hmm. it's because that they just understood a musician's workflow, you know? So, yeah, if he was to do something like that, I would just, oh, 
Yeah, I, I I'd be plunking down would, that would, right away. But you know, so what's the, the what's the thing? I gotta say, um, if he was to do something like that, I'm so torn between straight up reissue and additions. Like, okay, so like for instance, a good example is something like the Moog uh, Model D. When I feel like that's a Model E because there's enough changes on it, <laughs> it's still the same machine, but it's improved enough that it can be the next version. You know I, I mean? think that if Dave, I think if Dave was to do another SP12, I don't think he'd be content just doing a reissue. Um, mm -hmm. The type of mind that he is, I mean, you look at his modules; they're they're forward thinking. They 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 have nods to his past, forward to to the future, and I think that's more where his mind would be. That's and kind of what I would want to go, but there's a there's a fine line right between. But see, here's what it is. Obviously, you like the obvious improvements, like more sample time. You know what I mean? Um, like, I don't I think feel... that's where his head would be, though. Like, his head is more like, oh, well, you know, I want to have that same kind of hands-on control, maybe maybe do something with the fader-type layout and all. Mm -hmm. But I could see him being like, well, now we can do, like, phase alignment synthesis, oh, and yeah, we can yeah, do can this, and we can do doing, that. And, like, that kind and of just stuff. taking things into some weird esoteric areas that, you know, but doing it in a way that's actually intuitive to use. Like, mm -hmm. that's what I could see him looking towards. And that's what I would kind of hope for, too. Because even though they've yeah, reissued the the voice chips ability, now. The obvious ability to uh, interface with the current type of setup, right, without going too far there. Um, I would just like to see it. Um, I and I'd be happy with both. I'd love to see them do like just one more run because they've reissued the SP twelve hundred once already. So why not do it one more time? You know, reissue it again, and then also do and maybe use that money to fund doing a whole new version. You know, I'd be all for it. And I'd actually, want both. I, would, of them. I wouldn't be mad about that, and I'd probably want both of them too. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad about that, but you know, my luck is like this. Uh, once once I nab this SP twelve hundred, it'll likely be like a couple months later. He'll be like, "Here's the new version." <laughs> That's the way my luck goes. But I will say that. Um, so I picked up the um, the Emacs for for a couple of reasons. Part of the reason was that you can get very close to that SP twelve hundred sound. It's not exactly the same sound, but it uses very similar chipset, and you actually have more control over the sound because you can change your you can change a variable sampling rate on there you can go up and down you can stretch your keys even further than the 1200 could um so you can actually make it even more gritty um but the fact that i could also easily key map to it and i can make instruments with it um and then i've already i've actually already done a um i sampled my roads into it and did a library that's nice. uh, up on sounds.com with that but um my point being is just that because there are ways of getting that sound now at a at a much lower price point and also i'll be the first person to tell you as much as i love analog and vintage gear man you cannot deny the fact that decimort 2 gets yeah. you damn close like it if does. you know how to use it properly and decimort 2 for those who don't know is a, a vst plugin um it is it, it will emulate uh vintage gear and it Man, it'll really get you close. So this too, that's why I get back to way, it's a collector's thing, you know. I wanna I wanna also say that the auto biscuit, this joint right here, yeah, will get they you that sound. This, they stopped making this. This is like one of the last ones I think I yeah. bought it. I couldn't find it anywhere else. And I I had 
Anyway, yeah, this was one of the last, they stopped making these, but now Universal Audio uh, has modeled this as a plug-in and it sounds pretty damn close. I should That's do right. a video comparison between the hardware and uh, this, the, the VST. But yeah, this is another way to get that kind of SP1200 sound. Um, and it does pretty well at it too. Yes, sir. Uh, let's see. That's a more and Devastator is a yeah. Devast Devastator is another plugin by D16, and they they're I actually like their reverb too because it has a kind of old school reverb sound to it. Um, but uh, I really enjoy um, I really enjoy their plugins and and how you can uh how you can use them. The the thing that I found with their plugins is that uh you really need to be careful with the mix control on them and just kind of mm -hmm. like they can be a little heavy handed as far as how they sound. Um, but if you, if you kind of mix them in properly, man, they can sound so good and, and they get you where you want to be. And even more importantly, uh, in a mix, they sound better. Like I, I think in a mix, they actually, because a lot of the times what I want out of the, the grittiness of something like a SP 1200 or MPC mm -hmm. or whatever, like any, any vintage sampler, um, there's like a, a, a shine that comes on there like i know you can think about how it'll make a sample dark if you yeah. if you go way lower on there but mm -hmm. there's a shine when you when you're doing your drums like especially mm -hmm. like say you have a kick drum and it starts aliasing you get those those little square waves out of it that kind of shine off of the sample and it helps it actually yeah. cut through the mix a little bit better mm -hmm. and that's what to me decimort does that perfectly like i or, use that and you know i have decimort i don't use it as much but i definitely I definitely want to use it more to kind of see what and, it's like. I got a couple of tools that I like to use that sometimes it makes me forget about other things that I might have access to. It's just one of those things that like if I'm working on something, I like using the original gear. But man, like sometimes if I'm just working on something, I'm in the creative flow. And I'm like, man, this would really sound good mm -hmm. if it was just a little bit crunchier. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I go to, man. That is the yeah. first thing I go to. Hey Ken, tell me, tell me about. I want to switch gears a little bit. Tell me about the um, uh, Magneto. No, not Magneto. Say. Actually, <laughs> I do. I, at some point, we we should talk about Magneto. But I want to know about that red joint right there, and the the name oh, is ooh, right here. In my mind, the neutron. The neutron. Yeah, tell me I'll a little bit about the neutron. If I can't, um, see if I can't, like that, that guy. Mm -hmm. right yeah, okay. yeah um they should be just about ready for production um i haven't i haven't talked to the guys in in, in a little over a week uh but oh I've, bro that rack is stupid sick <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> rack is dumb <laughs> Yeah, Come on, I, got, man. I got I got I'm the I got the awesome filter just laying on top <laughs> um, oh man yeah this thing is Man, anybody hating on this thing is just being bitter because it's it's so good, and mm -hmm. the fact that they're doing this at two hundred ninety nine dollars is like mind numbing. That's um, crazy. I I you I use it constantly with the Mini Brute Two S. Um, like I put it in this rack when I first got it, just to be like, oh, okay, well, let me let me see how it feels racked up. Uh, there's a missing module here right now that I have to fill back in, but um. It hasn't left that rack since then because I like it. I like the pairing so much. Um, mm -hmm. It is 
it's super useful in so many different ways, man. Like the patch panel is fantastic. Right. Um, the oscillators sound great. You can switch the oscillators between switching between waveforms. So like here's the shape knob right here. And I don't know if you can see the lights flashing yeah, or not. Let lights. me make my screen bigger. Um, but yeah, so if you, right, like I'm kind of, mm -hmm. and, and it's actually flashing a bit because I have an LFO going into it right now. So you can see it kind of blending between those wave yeah, shapes right that's now. Dope. That's very can, modular style for that to be a desktop slash, you know, your rack. You can change this to where it'll just switch between waveforms or it'll blend between waveforms. And you can do the same with the LFO too. Right. There's like a lot of little hidden functions with button presses that you can do uh, for setting it up. Like uh, on the patch panel, this lower right one here is a sign. You can assign that to be a bunch of different functions depending on what you want. Like you can make that if you have a MIDI uh, cable plugged in, uh, you can make this be your mod wheel output. You can make it be volt per octave output. You can, nice. you can do lots of different stuff with it. But at the end of so the day, I think it has a good. From what I've heard from the demos and from what you've been doing, I feel like it has its own personality. It has a good like sound. The filter's dope, man. Like the yeah. filter has has a lot of. It's got a lot of balls for being a, a, a two-pole filter, like a, a 12 dB filter. Um, it's really cool because, so the Mini Brute is a two-pole filter, and this is a two-pole filter, and they couldn't sound more different. Yeah, Even right. though they both get ballsy, um, they both have that, you know, if you turn up the resonance, you can get squelchy with them and whatnot. Yep. They... Um, sound completely different they both sound great but they sound totally different mm -hmm. i spent i spent like three or four days where i was just like creating patches on one and then re recreating the patch on the other one and then trying to get them as close as i could to each other right. man they are so different it's 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 which is wonderful because like when you put them in a rack together it's like yeah, they complement yeah, each other really yeah, nicely. they complement each other they they don't clash at all and you kind of build from both of them that that's good to have those differences in your rack like that like right now can, can you guys hear that yeah a little bit can, uh, do you hear that yep so this is that's just the neutron right now um it's going in through the magneto but the magneto is not on if i turn it on like But yeah, it's um. So the the thing that's dope too about this is that a lot of people like that's why I mentioned Stony with the um, semi modular game. So a lot of cats may want to explore modular, but don't necessarily want to go, you know, all in like we have like that, <laughs> you know. But yeah. I think the semi modular world is really on the come up, and that's a good place to start. That's the place where you can really kind of get your hands in and. And, and a device like this, he's Ken has it rack mounted, but it's uh it's it's a desktop synth that is rack mountable, right? So it could be a regular. The thing I'll say about it though is this: here's the thing I'll say about it though. You're gonna want to have some sort of sequencer to go with it. Mm -hmm. Um, it works great with a MIDI keyboard. That's that's true. And in truth, um. Let's say you had something like Machine or an MPC, Ableton Live, whatever else it is, right? You can mm -hmm. certainly just plug a MIDI cable into here and hold on, I'll grab the uh grab the when you get it, it actually comes with its own case, right? And yeah. on the back of that case is quarter inch outputs, 
uh, quarter inch input, I think. Um, and it's got USB and then MIDI in and out DIN, right? So you can actually okay. just plug a USB cable into it and sequence it right from Ableton Live. You could sequence it from machine. If you got reactor, you could set up a reactor patch mm -hmm. and be sequencing it from that. So you don't necessarily need um, another, any other Eurorack stuff in order to do that. But um, and, and self patching it like I have here, like basically um, I'm not I'm not doing anything outside of the neutron right now, aside from just pitching gate. I'm just sequencing it from the mini brute right now. Okay. Uh, everything else is internally patched, you know, different points to itself. Um, but my point is, is that uh, you can you can get completely by with just using MIDI. But when you have a, a like an actual hardware sequencer or something that you can patch to it, that's when it gets way more fun. You know, it's just absolutely ridiculous if you can tie it into something like uh, even if you had like a Mother Thirty Two. The right. Mother 32 has a built-in sequence sequencer on, on it. Yeah, you can nice use that. Yep. Mini Brute 2S has its sequencer. You could use a key step or a beat step, whatever. Um, all of those different things. When you have something else that you can patch into it, that's when it gets really fun. But as a starting point for modular, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, the yeah. only thing that you would need after that is an actual rack to put it in. You know, <laughs> But you don't necessarily need a rack. Unless you're thinking about going, you know, more into the modular world, right? Because it's a desktop synth as well. So, I mean, I'm saying, I'm saying, like, if you wanted to, you know, use more you know that to start. I'm talking about using more modules. So here is, this is the rack that it comes with, yeah. right? Um, don't worry about the, I've been making my own little uh, LED lights. Like, I'll show you something. Check this or out. Her. Um, You see that light flashing right here that I just plugged in? Where is it at? Mm -hmm. Right here. So. Now, actually, I'll put it into here so you can see it brighter. But yeah, so that 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 guy right there, flashing away. I don't know. But anyway, um, so this is the case, right? This is what it comes in, and all I did was unscrew it from the case, and you unplug this cable right here. You need to keep the case. Don't throw this away if you get it though, because if you ever do a firmware update, you have to put it back into its case to do your firmware update because the firmware is through the back. Here's the back panel. Okay, and I'm gonna try and hold this steady so that you guys can see it. Okay. Now, there's a few things to note on here. So we have our MIDI through, which is good to have. Uh, that seems to be missing on a lot of products these days, MIDI through. Mm -hmm. um, you got your USB, so you can do your MIDI through USB, and there's also DIN MIDI on the front here, all right? Right. And then you've got Phono with its own control for the Phono volume. All right. And then you got your power over here. These dip switches let you set your MIDI channel. Okay. So you can set MIDI channel right from here. Um, right. Right. But, oh, dope. Okay. So it's dip switch MIDI channel set. Okay. Yeah. So one of the really cool things about this, though, is the fact that it has input on it. You can use it to process your gear. Like if you want to send samples through it, if uh, you know how you're always hearing people say, oh, yeah, but I love the MPC for the analog filter, you know, when they're talking about the 60 or the S900 or even the SP1200. Well, I'll be the first person to tell you. I, is the, is I disagree. The, on the, 3000, the S900? Is that the same filter on the 3000 and 950? The analog filter is on the 60, 62. 900 uh s900 and s950 
Um, okay. The 3000, I believe, is a digital filter, if, I, if I'm correct. Okay. Sam, will, Sam will correct me if, if I'm wrong. Um, I thought the S900, well, I, I got the... S900 is an analog filter in there. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so, but to, to, to my point, uh, those filters uh, are not my favorite, personally. I mean, I, like, they're, they're there. That's cool. But I, I would much rather have a filter like this, you know? And the fact that you can just run your gear right into this thing and then back out, and then you can control the filter with modulation. You can tempo sync it, all that kind of stuff right there. To me, the fact that you get that for $299 is absolutely insane. It's just there's so much usefulness out of this thing. Mm -hmm. One of the can I can I show you a quick patch that's that's yeah, really yeah, cool? Go for it. So you could talk about whatever. I'm gonna patch yeah, something. Yeah, it's all good. So so I'm looking in the chat and Alpha Magnetic. I love that name, by the way. Alpha Magnetic is saying that. The MPC Live um, is having some MIDI issue or his MPC Live. I don't know if this is a, a, a thing with all the MPC Lives, but he's saying he wants to sequence the MPC Live as an external piece of gear, basically. He wants to take that and control it with another sequencer. And there's something weird with the MIDI setup. Uh, so you can send MIDI data out in, in, in MIDI mode, but not in drum mode. So... That's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I wonder if that's happening with everybody. Well, I can tell you that uh, I think hopefully it's not just a CPU issue. I know like the, the Tempest, for instance, if you sequence on your Tempest, mm -hmm. you can't send the MIDI out of that sequence out of the Tempest, which is absolutely insane. So like, let's say I wanted to use the Tempest and I did a pattern in it and I wanted that pattern to be triggering um, my modular using MIDI. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. because apparently the, the CPU that they put in the Tempest is can't handle it. underpowered and they can't do it. Yeah. So it's it just very, which is highly expensive as that damn thing is. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that, that's, that's a, we, that's we don't want to get back to my love hate relationship with the Tempest, <laughs> but that's one of those things that I think designers do weird things like the X. Everybody knows that I love the X, but why does the X not have a that a that is not passe technology. This is a, this is like one of those machines. That was that, my first. That was my first thing that I saw about the X that I was really sad about. I, I just you know, couldn't I even understand it. it. Especially to me, I feel like there's some things that a flagship needs to have, right? And in an MPC flagship, the four thousand had ADAT and a bunch of IO. The five thousand had ADAT and a bunch of IO. And then the X comes along with CV and no ADAT. I personally think it should have both, and it, it's a weird choice. I mean, it doesn't necessarily make me say, ooh, I hate the X, not by any stretch of imagination. I love the X, but I definitely think it needed to have a that connection. There's this it should have that. It is just okay. So um let me let me just show you this real quick. Uh yeah. actually pitch it down a bit. So this is just a I'm just showing this as an example, one of the reasons why I really like the design of this thing. Um and why anybody who criticizes it, I just think are being silly because the fact that they leave stuff like this in here on a, on a product that's only 300 bucks is crazy to me. So first thing I should say is that the LFO in the Neutron is digital. And mm -hmm. what's really cool about this is that they didn't ban limit it um, severely. Like a lot of times when you see a digital LFO in a piece of gear, mm -hmm. they ban limit it, which means they won't let it go super high in frequency because the higher frequency they go, um, 
it's not a high enough resolution to where it won't alias. And with this, they let it go up way past aliasing, right? Don't so the waveforms start getting all kinds of yeah, the waveforms start getting all kinds of janky looking, right? But that makes them sound really interesting. So right now I have all I have is it's like a regular, you know, uh, subtractive synth patch, but I'm sending the LFO into control the um the filter cutoff, right? Mm -hmm. And I have just a little bit of resonance and just listen to what it does here. So right now that sounds normal, right? Mm -hmm. And what I can do is as I bring this attenuator up, I have it patched into an attenuator so I can control the amount of the LFO. So there we are, right? Yeah. Now watch when I bring the rate up on this thing. Now most LFOs are going to start stopping right up around here. Like that's about as high as they're going to go. But watch how high this thing can go. So now, that's crazy. And that's just like, I mean, that's just a pretty, you know, obviously I'm not getting into a deep patch where I'm controlling the rate because I can, mm -hmm. I can control all of that stuff as well. But the idea that I can kind of start getting into these sorts of things, like if you start patching, like uh, you could do like envelope two out and we can take that over here to uh, where we at here. We'll do LFO rate. All right. And then I can kind of play with my envelopes here. That thing has a really dope sound. It's very distinct. Of course, I can drop these down. But basically, my point is, is that you're able to to do things on this that you would do on a modular synth, but mm -hmm. usually not for this kind of price point. Like usually you don't see that kind and of are stuff. Are they really dropping it for two ninety nine or was it three ninety nine? Yeah, it's gonna be two ninety nine. And and the thing what is is like I, I asked them about it like when I first got the prototype in and I was testing it and just trying to see if I could find flaws and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I said, you know, the LFO lets you go really high in rate and way past regular aliasing and, and it, it gets all you know distorted. I said, you know, are you guys planning on keeping it that there? Because I really like it. <laughs> and usually, and I ask those kinds of questions often. And usually, the answer is, no, no, no. We're gonna, we're gonna, you know, rein that in so that people don't hear that. Blah blah blah. And I was like, man, don't do that. But no, their answer was, no, we really kind of like it. And and you know, how do you feel yeah, about it? I was just like, keep it, <laughs> keep it, because you can do like a uh, really ridiculous like uh vocal type effects with it and you you could just do some awesome stuff with it and the fact that you can already cross modulate the oscillators because this is two oscillators right here um so you can do like traditional dual oscillator type sounds with it but now you have an audio rate oscillator here that you can use as well that just kind of gets really crazy and you can modulate the shape of it and all kinds of different stuff like that and then you've got the analog delay on it so just nice that it has man, delay. That's a good touch. 
It's stupid fun, man. When's it when's it supposed to hit the market though? I haven't seen a hard date. Um yeah. and I to to be to be fair, I haven't looked. Um <laughs> but I I think in the next few months, like tops. Like I think yeah. maybe even sooner than that. Like from what I'm understanding, it's it's coming pretty darn soon. I think they're talking um this month or next. That's funny. Um, Alex, Alex in the chat says supposed to be this month, but it's Behringer. Might be next year. Well, see, and you know what? Let me let me touch on that real quick. I I just want to touch on the subject of yeah. um, and, and I'm not saying that that uh, I'm not saying that Alex is irritated by that. Uh, I'm just touching on the subject. So don't take it as a diss to you, Alex, at all. Um, a lot of people get irritated when they hear about gear being announced and it takes a while for it to come to market and then they're like oh well you know it's it's just behringer that's why it's taking so long or it's just arturia because it's taking so long when when the the matrix brute was first announced from then until it actually came out so many people were saying it was vaporware and it was yeah. never coming and mm -hmm. oh there must be all kinds of problems it must not be very good because it's not out yet um same thing with the audio fuse the audio fuse was like a what two or three year process between when it was announced and when it actually came out but see um, i can appreciate that if it, i can appreciate the time being taken even, even if it's sort of annoying well and that's what i'm getting fancy, at is that right if it's getting they're getting it right there's there's a positive a negative and a truth and the positive is is that you get to find out about the gear ahead of time and that's kind of cool right um all of us that are like we eat sleep and breathe music technology we love hearing about gear as soon as we, we possibly can mm -hmm. that's cool the negative is is that um one in my opinion you blow your load you you you, you shoot out the product info and then the buzz wears off by the time it comes out right so to me i'm like you know you probably shouldn't do that because of you that have to be able to balance that and then you also have to deal with the fact of like people not understanding the development and don't understand that you know okay well if a product's not out yet it doesn't necessarily mean that there's problems it could be other things it could be marketing issues it could be factory issues it, yeah, could, be it could be parts related all, uh, there, there's a part. million reasons why a piece of gear might not hit the market right away and mm -hmm. it could be because there could be issues that maybe they're squaring away which me personally i'd rather them fix the problems before i get it than be a, a pain beta beta tester, tester, you know? pay. <laughs> yeah, exactly so there's that but you know in, in the long run what, what i think it comes down to is so we're finding out about this gear and then we have to decide okay it are we really going to be that excited about it for for x amount of time or you know just take that and file it in the back of your mind that you know what i may or may not be saving up for that piece of gear in the future i think a lot of the heads of these companies that are doing this uh such as behringer such as um you know arturia they they are excited about what they're doing so they're telling people about stuff in advance before i personally think that they should like right. me I, i'm more of the mindset of you know what let, let's hold off don't tell everybody right away maybe announce two weeks out from from launch or a month out from launch a month i think is fine I think that's good timing. When you start pushing three months, it, I think I think the the excitement will start to die off a bit. But uh, some of these companies are announcing products, and then they're like, you know what? We're well, shipping. I don't even know. Three months is not bad, even Ken. I mean, but when you got people that are like six months out, a year out, I think you you shoot your load too early when you do that. 
And there's, I personally there's a lot of would rather that, we like, love that have done that. I like and then say, and we're shipping in, you know, a month. We're yeah, shipping in I three weeks. That. You know, I that's think that's awesome. That. You know, yep. um, I just wish I had the money for every piece of gear that came out. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So, yo, this has been good, man. It's kind of like a almost like a reboot and uh, going to get back on this. I actually got some pretty cool guests lined up for the next a uh, few beat monster show. Uh, I said beat monster. That was a uh, uh, <laughs> the previous group I was in, and I got the records of the the CDs we put out right above me. But beat people shows. Um, I got uh, some real cool guests for some people that uh, in the synth and Eurorack community that are doing a tour. I don't want to say who they are, but they're going to be on here in the next uh, next month in May. And then I also got my man Bo Beats is going to come and and be a part of the show. Uh, at some point soon, we just got to lock in a date. And uh, my man TDS is going to come back too. So looking forward to some cool things. And if we can, if we can coordinate things, I know Joe is always down to be on the show. So uh, you know, some some real cool shows coming up here soon. So looking forward to. Let me just tell you what I got coming up. Um, I have a. Uh, uh, I just released Analog Boom Bap two a couple weeks ago. I have Analog Boom Bap 3 ready. I just have to do some final programming changes on it to put some MPC programs in there. And I have a new kit called Modulax that is coming up, and that's going to be releasing with a Mod Bap album that's that, as well. That's that, that modular laxative, right? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> that's right. Give you the Eurorack runs. I didn't, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> that's classic. So, yeah, stay tuned to BeatPeople.com. Go up there. Make sure you support. And uh, we got some real cool stuff coming up. Hey, as far as BeatPeople.com is concerned, uh, Flux With It kits will be up on there soon, too. I got to get them over to you, but they'll be up there soon. Soon as you get them to me, we'll we'll get them up there. And uh, so that should be pretty cool. We'll start having uh, more of the Beat People collective stuff on BeatPeople.com. So patronize and see what's up. What, What you got going on, Ken? Uh... I think today or tomorrow I need to shoot. Uh, as I said, I don't typically like doing review reviews, but I think I'm going to do an actual review of the Strymon Magneto. Mm-hmm. They sent it to me for uh, for press, and uh, I know I don't get to keep it, so don't get too excited uh, or jealous. Um, <laughs> but I am going to do like a straight up review on it because I have I have some strong opinions about it, um, and uh, so I think I'm going to get that up pretty darn soon uh i've got i've got some gear that's not out yet that i can't talk about yet but it'll be ready to go as soon as the gear is announced i'm gonna i'm gonna pop some videos up on that so you, you can keep it and as far as flux with it is concerned i have a bunch of new sound packs that are going to be ready and i think i'm actually going to get them up on beat people and shop.fluxwithit.com first. Those two sites will be up first. And then you'll also be seeing them up on sounds.com and a few other places. So you well, you know, speaking of sounds.com, I want to have uh, Justin uh, Myrax on the show again, talk about sounds.com and how that thing is coming. And, and Might not be a bad idea. Yeah, I think I think it'd be a cool show to kind of talk about because I feel like there's a, a changing of the guard and even kind of like the pendulum is swinging a bit when it comes to sound design and marketplaces for sound. Sure. Design. Oh, and as far as my show is concerned, the Synth Summit show, if people mm-hmm. aren't aware, if you go over to my YouTube channel, uh, which is YouTube Flux with it, uh, I have a show called the Synth Summit show. And that show is basically where I interview guys like 
we talked about Dave Rossum earlier. He's been on the show. Uh, um, you know, I've had I've had lots of different uh, people who create the gear that we all know and love. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've got some new guests that are going to be on that uh, in the next two weeks. I'll, I'll be starting the next season of that back up. So um, certainly check that out. And if you haven't seen the previous episodes and you're into samplers and synthesizers and knowing what went into the gear, what the backstory of it was, that kind of stuff check it out they're they're long shows so you may just mm-hmm. want to put them on and listen to them as you're driving that's a great thing about youtube you can stop it come back to to it later and it'll pick up where you left off uh, um, they are long form shows they're generally speaking two hours or so yeah <laughs> word so yeah uh Synth, Synth summit show aka synth nerd paradise it's always a dope show it's always a lot of dope information on there so well, hey, we're going to sign off and uh, we'll be back in the next two weeks, not next week, but the following week. We'll have another show and uh, let's get some discussion going on. Holler at me. Be sure to follow us on uh, on uh, on all of our pages and social media. Uh, you can find me at B-Boy Tech Report on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And you can find me at The Beat People. Uh, that's the podcast on Twitter and uh, just straight up Beat People, B-E-A-T-P-P-L on Instagram and on facebook and uh so that's what's up yep 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 all right peace y'all